are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in this world, He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but you later will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you is. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he had put on clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, and your teacher have washed your feet, you have also washed one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I very truly tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Coulter. Well... Everyone, there is more coffee back here. I know it's early. I know. If you need to take a little nap, I understand. We are going to look at this story today in John 13, and there is so much to learn about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Will you pray with me as we get started? Father, we are so grateful to be in this place to worship you this morning. I pray that as we open your word, you would reveal to us who you are. God, that we would know you more this morning. We pray all this in your name. Amen. It's hard to believe on a 65 degree day that a week ago we were out skiing. We've been cross-country skiing, my husband Jeff and I, all winter, and we decided to try this new-to-us version of cross-country skiing. If you're familiar at all with it, it's called skate skiing. We usually do classic, which is like you're in a track and you just kind of plod along. We tried this skate skiing concept. So if you imagine, it's kind of like ice skating on skis, if you picture that. And so these are a couple of people who are very talented. This is not Jeff and I. These people are very talented at skate skiing. You can see the guy classic skiing behind them. And so there was free day at the Three Rivers Park District on Leap Day. So we got a free lesson and free skate ski rentals. And we get out there, and there's our instructor, Sophia. And she's this very sweet, 
instructor. And she was so kind. And she said, okay, everyone, I want you to put on one ski. We'll just start with one ski. So she puts on the ski, and we just start walking across this really flat, like, area, and we're just skiing across. Okay, like, we're like, okay, we got this. So then she says, now put on both skis. So we do, and we're like cruising. We're like watching her. She demonstrates, and then we follow. And in my head, I think I look just like Sophia when I'm doing this. I look nothing like Sophia. Then she says, okay, now we're going to pick up our poles. This is like over an hour-long class. Okay, so we're like skiing back and forth on this flat area, one ski, two skis, okay, grab your poles. Okay, now we're going to practice this one way of polling. Now we're going to do another one. And this gets increasingly more difficult. But in my head, I look increasingly more like these people in this picture. Until we decide to leave the flat practice area and go around the loop. And we're at Elm Creek, if any of you have been there. And so we're skiing around this loop at Elm Creek, and Sophia says, I'll go with you for your first lap around. Great. So Sophia and I, we're skiing side by side, and I look just like her. No, not at all. We get to a hill, like we get to any type of incline, and I just die. And so she is like, you know, like when you skate ski, you just kind of glide up the hill, and I just start trucking it. Like I'm like sticking my poles in, sticking my skis in, doing like classic style, like tromping up the hill. And then Sophia gets done. We get done with that lap. It takes me forever to finish it. She goes to teach her next class, and... I decide that we're going to do, like, another lap around. And there's this guy who looks like a professional speed skater. No pulls, just hands behind his back, skiing up the hill, no problem. And he just passes me as I am tromping up the hill. I don't know if you have this experience, these moments where we follow an example, and in our head, we look just like the example, and in real life, it is a struggle. Maybe you've tried something on Pinterest, you've tried a recipe, or I remember I would try to make coleslaw like my great-grandma, and it never tasted like hers. Maybe you've had these moments where you try to follow an example, and it's just a fail. This morning, we are looking at a humbling experience. When we are in these positions, we realize that we have some work to do, don't we? In the scripture passage today, Jesus gives his people a pattern, an example, a way of life to follow. I want you to imagine the scene with me. We are in the upper room this morning. We're going to slow down time. We're going to walk moment by moment with Jesus in some of his final hours on earth. It's near the Passover when the Israelites would gather together, the Jewish people would gather together, they would remember what God had done for the Israelites when he had freed them from Egypt when they were in slavery. And it's a meal in springtime. Looked at the average temperature about this time. It would feel like it does today in Minnesota. Imagine you're in the upper room, and Jesus and his friends are there. Everyone's reclining on these thin mats around a table. 
They are probably leaning on their left arm so they could eat with their right. The table is set with bread and probably a common bowl of soup or a sauce to dip it in. There would be a spread of olives, dates, beans, cucumbers, fish, and cheese set in front of them. And I imagine they're talking and laughing together, maybe remembering times in the past when they had been at Passover, hanging out. Remember that time when Peter was trying to walk on water and Jesus caught him? Remember when we were all in the boat in the storm and Jesus fell asleep? How about that time when a little boy came over with his lunch and we thought Jesus was crazy when he told us that he was going to feed over 5,000 people? Imagine this conversation is going on around the tables and Jesus is there and he is distracted from this conversation. He knows that his time is near. He understands that the clock is ticking and his time on earth with his group of friends around the table is limited. He must return to the Father, and the way is not easy. He looks around the room, his eyes meeting the faces of the men he has traveled with for the last three years. So much has happened in such a short period of time. Jesus loves each one of them dearly, and he would now show them the full extent of his love not just in the next few minutes, but in the next few days, the last few days of his earthly life. As he looks around the table, he sees one of his friends, and he knows that they share common knowledge. There's a man named Judas at the table, and he will turn on Jesus. He will reject the relationship. As dinner progresses, Jesus becomes increasingly aware of the hours Jesus knows that he has all power, that he was from God and he would be returning to God. And it is with this knowledge that he begins one of his final demonstrations of love. Everyone is eating and talking. Jesus gets up from the table. He starts tying a towel around his waist and taking off his outer garment and as soon as he did this, I can imagine the hush that would come over the room. Maybe some murmurs. What is he doing? The confusion is only going to grow. Jesus pours water into a large bowl. And using a towel, he kneels down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel. This task was only reserved for servants. They would wash the feet of guests when they would arrive for a special occasion. And even the disciples of rabbis could never imagine washing anyone's feet. You just imagine the embarrassment just settles around the table and most were quiet. But this shocking and countercultural act would send Peter, one of Jesus' friends, just sputtering. He burst out, Master, you might, like, in the Greek, if we read this, there's this confusion, this outburst from Peter. And there's hardly a full sentence expressed here. And we read it in English, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Peter is indignant. He objects to this idea that a teacher, a rabbi, would wash his feet. After all, they are smelly and gross, and this was no role for Jesus. There, in the middle of the room, holding his hand and his towel out towards Peter's feet, Jesus gently but firmly speaks of his knowledge. He says, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. I just want to pause here for a moment in the story. As I read this, I thought, how many situations in my life right now, in people that I know, are we in a place where we feel like Jesus is saying to us, you don't understand now. You don't understand now why this is happening. But later you will understand. Is there not comfort in those words from Jesus? That there is purpose in what we're going through. That Jesus knows that Jesus has a plan. I was talking to someone just this morning. said, oh, we don't understand so often why things happen now. And we might not understand for years and years. Jesus says, you don't understand now, but later you will. Peter responds. He shows that he still does not know what Jesus is talking about. He says, no, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. Not now, not ever kind of situation. And Jesus looks at Peter. And he knows Peter so well. They've been friends for a while now. He loves Peter's zeal for life, his deep faith, and he knows that Peter's going to have a huge influence on building his church. And Jesus tells Peter that if he will not let him wash his feet, that he will have no part with him. The word part here is meros, which references an inheritance. And when you and I think about inheritance, we think about maybe like the money or resources that we will receive from someone who passes away. In this Jewish thought, it could also be referring to participation in future spiritual blessings. The big theological word for it would be eschatological blessings. So when they hear the word meros, they could think inheritance. To be honest, I don't know that Peter, like, had all these senses about him in this moment, and he was thinking, like, when Jesus says this, unless you have no part with me, unless you will not have an inheritance with me. Peter was, in the moment, hearing this as, I want to be linked with Jesus. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. I do think it's interesting that Peter himself would later write a letter and he would reference this kind of spiritual inheritance. Like, I wonder if in the moment Peter didn't understand that when Jesus said, unless you have no part with me, you will not receive the spiritual blessings. But I think later he understood. Because in 1 Peter 1, he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, 
this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I think in the moment, Peter is caught up in what is happening, and he responds, as one author wrote, with unrestrained exuberance. It's as if he is saying, Jesus, whatever it takes, if you need to not just wash my feet, but my hands and my head, do it. Whatever it takes. Peter still wasn't quite in tune with what was happening. And I'm not sure that Jesus' response entirely cleared it up. Jesus says in verse 10, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Do you ever read things in the Bible that Jesus says and you think it should make a lot of sense, but then when you stop and reflect, you're like, Jesus, what are you saying? What does that mean? One way to understand here what Jesus is saying is this. A person who's taken a bath, who is basically clean, might need to have their feet washed after a short walk on dusty roads, even though another bath would be unnecessary. You tracking with me? I will say as I was reading this, I thought this doesn't really apply to kids. Like I remember when we would be camping as kids and we would take showers in the evening and our parents would not let us go near the playground because as soon as we did, we would just be covered in sand again. Then we get older and we might shower and then take a walk in the evening and not need to take a bath again. That's what he's saying here. He says, if you think of it this way, when we are in Christ, we have said yes to following him. We have received by grace through faith life with Jesus now and forever. But we're going to continue to make mistakes and sin, and we will routinely need our feet washed by Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and it is time for a bath. You need to receive Jesus' love and forgiveness for the first time. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, and your feet are dusty. There is some unconfessed sin that has worked its way into your life and your relationships. And Jesus wants to make you clean. When Jesus responds to Peter, he knows that some people are going to choose to push him away. He says, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. He had washed Judas's feet that night. The outward sign of Jesus' love was there and available for everyone. And he had done so fully knowing that this outward act is not ultimately going to make the inside of Judas clean. And it's not the outward acts that make us right with God either. We can check all of the Christian boxes, read our Bibles, go to church, give our money. But if our hearts are not turned toward Jesus, then we will have no part with him. And this might sound harsh, but we can't miss the fact that Jesus gives everyone the opportunity to trust him. He didn't skip Judas in the foot washing circle, and he doesn't skip any of us. We can wonder how long it took Jesus to go around the circle, but at the end, 
he puts on his outer garment again and goes back to his mat at the table. Jesus sat down and looked at them and said, do you understand what I have done for you? Once a week, I go to the middle school and hang out in Miss Neeby's class, K. Neeby, and she teaches sixth grade math. And I cannot tell you how many times she will teach a lesson and then say, okay, does everyone understand what we just did? You can imagine there are a lot of hands that go up and a lot of kids saying, Miss Neeby, Miss Neeby, Miss Neeby. Jesus says, do you understand? He says, do you get it? Are you following? Are you with me? And it's so common as you read stories about Jesus to see he does something and then he sits down and has like a debrief conversation with them. And as Jesus asked the question, though, it doesn't seem like there were hands that went up or any conversation and the room is quiet And Jesus goes on to explain that he is their teacher and Lord. And they shouldn't just watch what he does. They shouldn't just add this to their compilation of stories about when Jesus did crazy countercultural things. They should do it too. Jesus was setting an example of what it looks like to serve each other with humility. Wash each other's feet like I have washed yours. I've set an example, a pattern for you to follow. And he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Over and over, Jesus' life set an example of what it means to live with humility. It's been present since day one when Jesus was born to a young unmarried woman and placed in a manger in a barn. He didn't have a home to call his own much less a palace like the powerful king that people were expecting. He lived a simple life. He spent most of his time eating dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors and the people on the edges of society. And his earthly life would end with the most humiliating death that we can imagine. And we live in a world where this kind of humility is still entirely countercultural. We live in a ladder-climbing, status-seeking world. And to be fair, promotions, doing well in work, all of that stuff, like God can use that. It's the posture of our heart. To be humble in our world seems like it's associated with being a doormat. Like, oh, you're just going to let people walk all over you. That is not the kind of humility that Jesus models for us. It's not the way of Jesus. Jesus had all power. If you didn't hear the message from last week, Bjorn talked about Jesus' power. Jesus held power and humility together in perfect unity. He came and he knelt down in front of his disciples and he showed this act of love. And as Jesus' followers, we are called to love one another this way. I got to see this kind of love in action yesterday through a group of middle and high school students. We went to Care Food Shelf in Elk River, and the kids helped clean shelves and freezers and shopping carts and vans and refrigerators, and they served with joy. 
there are these three boys who are working on a refrigerator door, and they were just like scrubbing away. And I heard one of the boys say, this is the happiest I've ever been cleaning in my entire life. Like, I mean, look how much joy there is. And then I would walk around and do like the tops of everything because they can only reach so far. Guys, when we share in Jesus' example of serving one another, we get to share in his joy. This is not just like a, oh, somebody's got to do it kind of thing. One of Jesus' apostles, Paul, wrote to a church about following Jesus' example of humility. And he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, he goes on to say, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. We participate in Jesus' joy when we serve one another goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Doesn't this sound so good? But when I read this, I'm like, oh, oh. I like to be in charge of my time. And if I'm honest, I'd rather think about myself. What makes me feel good? What do I want to do with my time today? What new clothes do I want to buy? My natural state without Jesus is to look to my own interests. It is so much more convenient and comfortable, isn't it? How easy is it to say to you, like, oh, well, that's not really my thing. Why would I wash someone else's feet? That's uncomfortable. I don't think Jesus was naive to the fact that feet make people squeamish. And if the feet don't, then maybe the germs do. There's been like heightened awareness. As I'm like reading about Jesus' foot washing, I've been thinking about washing my hands a lot. Jesus knew that he was asking us to do something totally countercultural, something out of our comfort zone and beyond our own capacity. Our selfishness will get in the way of humility every time. But at the end of the day, when we have everything we want, we will still be dissatisfied because we have served ourselves and missed out on the joy of serving one another and ultimately serving Jesus. We can't do this on our own. We need the cross work of Jesus to make us clean. Many of us know what it is to be in a place where we have come to the end of ourselves and we need help. Maybe you talked about such a time when you you were talking around your tables today. It's a humbling experience to come to a place where we recognize that we need a Savior. To say, Jesus, there is nothing I can do to earn life with you. As we come to our knees time and time again, we recognize not only the power of Jesus to rescue us, but we imitate his example by humbly asking him, Jesus, would you intervene in my life? Author Bill Hull wrote, God works both inside out and outside in. 
In other words, Jesus makes us more like him as we, like Peter, invite him to be the Lord of our life, an inside work of the heart. And as we serve others, we learn humility by serving. The inside out and outside in work of God smooths down places of pride, forgives us, and makes us teachable. If we want to start becoming like Christ, we need to start imitating him. We need to put on one ski, start going. It will humble us. It will push us out of our comfort zone. But more importantly, it will point others towards Jesus. How can you surprise someone with Jesus' love this week? In your workplace, in your home, with your time, your money, your words. Jesus calls us to live selfless lives of sacrifice. But he doesn't leave us to do it on our own or figure it out by ourselves. He is our teacher after all. I think of Sophia skiing with me that first time around the loop. Jesus is right there with us. Jesus is both powerful and humble. His example of humility invites us to respond with our heart and our hands. Will you let Jesus wash your feet today? Will you ask him to teach you how to follow his example? I want to close by reading that last part of Philippians 2 that we started with a few minutes ago. Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. May this be our prayer this week. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.